2: no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details
0: it's time to get sexy
2: on secular sexuality
1: Good evening, and welcome to Secular Sexuality, the ACA show that knows that the only constant is change. I'm Vila Bianca, and with me is the show's true constant, Christy Powell. Joining us this week from our very own studio is Jenna Belk, a host on The Atheist Experience. She also has been building her own podcast, Atheist Stasis, which looks at a variety of topics surrounding skepticism and deconversion. Welcome, Jenna. Hello, thank
3: you for having me.
1: Tell us a little bit about yourself. I am um, just a, I guess I'm still a baby
3: atheist. Y'all were the first show to bring me on. <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of claimed the baby atheist name. And it's been, I guess, almost a year. I think it's a year later now. Mm-hmm. And I've been added to the Atheist Experience co-host crew uh, team. And I've started my own show, which you mentioned, Atheist Stasis, um, where I've noticed that there's a lot of, Um, It seems like a lot of extremes in atheism, which I didn't expect. And so I just wanted to promote a more uh, balanced perspective. Um, But I'm also just, I guess, a person that um, I think a lot of people can relate to. I just have a lot of similar experiences to people. So I just want to kind of raise awareness and help anyone I can, I guess.
1: Oh, that's awesome. Um, And yes, Jenna is the best of all of us. I can attest to that. Uh, (laughs) Today, we're going to be talking about changing in relationships and especially in couples. Um, And when you decide to be with someone for a very long time, change is going to be a part of that. And how you manage those changes is going to define the success of your relationship. Jenna, uh, we brought you on because we know you've been through some big changes while you are also married. Um, And your experience, like you said, is uh, is a familiar one. You're not alone in that. Um, So, guys, if you're listening um, and if you struggle with change in a long-term relationship, if it's something you're going through now or you expect to have to go through or you've been through and want to commiserate, now's the time to give us a call. Get in touch at 512-991-9242. That's 512-991-9242. And someday I will memorize this one as well. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's jump right into it. Um, Jenna, we want to get to know a little bit more about you and a little bit more about your story. So you deconstructed your Catholicism while you were married. Uh, So how did that come about? How did that process happen? Um, Well, actually, so strangely enough, I was a Christian still when
3: we got married. Um, I was in the process of deconverting from Catholic and I would considered myself spiritual, but not religious at the time. And my husband was kind of on the same wavelength. Like we were both, yeah, you know, it kind of feels like there's something out there, but who knows? And we we're, we both consider our- ourselves agnostics, I guess, almost at this point. And after I deconverted, and we were married and I started asking him some of the questions that I started asking myself. And at a certain point I'd asked him, wait a second. So he thought that he was, um, universal Unitarian, you, and he thought that was a religion. And so I was like, wait a second. So what do they believe? And he said, well, uh, I don't know. I said, okay, well, if you don't know what they believe, why do you believe it? And he's like, good point. So <laughs> I got really lucky in finding out that he had been raised just secularly and discovered that he was an atheist after I did. So I got very lucky there.
1: Nice. And was, did the initial conversation as you kind of found yourself moving from SBNR um, to <laughs> a more uh, concrete concept of skepticism, of atheism, was there a conversation that happened or, or were you afraid of, of having to have that conversation or, or was it more of an ongoing kind of gradual process? I'm definitely an open book, and this had been
3: a journey for a long time, actually, since I've known him for seven years, so I was a Catholic still when I met him, and I've just been open with him the whole time. But I, I do remember there was a point where his his father and I were having a conversation. And so his dad knew that I was a Catholic and just never told me the word atheist, <laughs> which is probably a good idea. <laughs> um, but he shared with me his mom's experience when, because I had just started questioning and I was like, so, you know, if I feel like this and you feel like that. And he, anyway, he shared me um, some, um, I forget what you call it, where... It's like a manifesto or something, just something you describe your life. I don't know if that's the right word.
4: Some kind of mission statement, some kind of intention to put out into the world.
3: Yes. And so she had um, deconverted herself sort of and started writing things about how, you know, my God is the earth and the trees. And so I was like, wait a second, that's how I feel. And at this point, I was like, wait, if I can figure this out. And she can figure this out. And she died before I before I even got involved with his family. So I've never met her, um, and yet still we came to the same conclusion. And neither one of us had a book to get us there, or priests or pastors or anyone to get us there. So that was the point where I was like, okay, I don't know. I gotta I gotta figure this out. I don't know.
1: Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So you had some support from his family. It sounds yeah. like as you were moving through that. That's really good. That's awesome. Um, and then. You you went through more recently. I think I knew you while we were while you were going through this particular um, change and transformation, um, which yeah. is a weird thing to call it because it's not something that changed necessarily. Um, or or would you say? Well, we'll get into it. Um, you recently <laughs> came out um, as pansexual, yes. um, which is another very important shift in your identity. Uh, and first, before we jump into that, I do, I want to dive into that a little bit more. Are you, do you think of it as a change? Do you think of it as a transformation or something that you kind of always knew and were putting a word to for the first time? Um, the religion was a change.
3: The sexuality was a discovery. Ah, I like that distinction. Yeah. And you actually were the first person to help me with that distinction. Um <laughs> We were outside the ACA and I was brand new to hanging out and you had just moved down. So this was about a year ago. Yeah. And um, I was new to volunteering on secular sexuality and started asking, wait a second. So what do I think? And am I really straight and all this? And so you had told me, uh, I had come to the realization that I thought I was bi-curious because I knew I wasn't only attracted to males. I knew I was attracted to more, but I didn't know what. And so I'd call myself bi curious because for some reason, bisexual just was, didn't fit me. Mm-hmm. And so I never actually came out as that. That was just a personal description that I used, And my husband knew about it because I'd obviously talked to him the whole time. I guess it's not obvious, but it was a good thing that I ended up talking <laughs> to about this the whole time. Um, but, um, sorry. So you defined yourself as bi curious for a while. Yes. And then you told me the definition of pansexual and I'd never heard it before. And I was like, wait a second, say that again. And you said it again. I was like, oh,
1: that's what I am. And I, I didn't remember knew that right yeah. away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And to be clear, this is one definition that I've heard that encapsulates it the best. Um, and this is from actual bi, bi people and pan people um, who are the ones you should be listening to in terms of what their labels mean. Um, but if I'm remembering correctly, bisexual people factor gender into their attraction. And it's uh, attraction to one or uh, to more than one gender. Um, and gender presentation is a part of that attraction. Whereas with pansexuality, the way I've heard it described by pan people is uh, gender doesn't really factor in, like, that's not necessarily a consideration. So they will be attracted to people for other things, but not specifically for gender presentation. So I might be attracted to somebody because she is particularly, uh, she, she presents her gender in a very particular way. Whereas Jenna, you might be attracted to her for a completely different reason.
3: Yeah. I, i I found out that my main attraction, um, I've discovered is, um, to a cluster of things, but intellectualism is probably the first, um, thing that I'm attracted to. I'm attracted to people smarter than me first and foremost. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I think from there it trickles, like if it's a, if it's a romantic relationship, it's different from if it's a sexual relationship and if it's a emotional relationship, it's different. So, mm-hmm. um, but I've found that regardless genitalia does not matter to me when it comes to what I'm attracted to.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, So how you you mentioned talking about this with Kevin um, while you were still going through the what am I feeling? What do I like? What am I thinking? Am I bi-curious? How did those conversations go? How did you end up bringing that up to him? Um, I, I told him when we were dating that I was attracted
3: to women and we were both drinking, you know, women make out typically, at least where I'm from, when people drink. And um, so he kind of, you know, it wasn't a shock to him. But when I decided to label myself by curious, he's uh, very generous with, well, I'll hold the camera. (laughs) So (laughs) he's always just been like, oh, you know, do whatever you want. I'm I'm down, just, you know, do what you want. So it's (laughs) fine.
1: And then when you came out as as pan and kind of put that label on it, did that change anything at all, or was that a separate conversation, or was it just, hey, I thought it was this thing. This is the term for it. We're good to go. Um,
3: I thought that it might be a
1: thing because we, at this
3: point, we're already married, and mm-hmm. um, some people seem to think that if you're, you identify as a new sexuality after you're married, then all of a sudden the marriage is invalid. And that's just not true. Like I, I told him what I was attracted to and he was kind of like, Oh yeah, I, I, I mean, I knew that already. It's just that we finally put a word on it. So mm. it, um, when I came down to coming out, um, coming out day, was coming up in October last year. And I was on the fence because, because I am married, and there are family members of mine that have, you know, certain ideas about what our relationship is. And so I knew it would be shocking if I came out. So I did ask him if it was OK with him. If I came out, we talked about it and it was, there was a hesitation. But in the end, he was like, no, I mean, it's your life. You know, it's, it's your identity. And if you feel like you need to, um, which I did um, in hopes of validating anybody, hmm. um, he supported me.
1: How is that? Because that's a that's an interesting segment to to jump into as well Is is the the idea that, yes, we're talking about changing as a couple and changing in in inside of a relationship. But those changes do affect who else is is relating to that uh, relationship and the people mm-hmm. around you who support you. So did you get any, any pushback from people once you, once you came out and were they, were they concerned about your relationship at all? Um, oddly,
3: when it came down to losing religion and changing my, my uh, sexual identity, I have gotten almost nothing. What's happening is I'm being told that another person's being asked by another person who's wondering who heard from another person. And there's just, I'm hearing that there's just circles going on around me, but nobody almost <laughs> is talking to me. So when that happened, um, I had been told that some people reached out to my my in-laws and I don't think that I had actually come out to them about that specifically yet. But I'd been Uh. at least having that conversation. So they weren't shocked, but they were caught off guard. Um, They weren't expecting it. And so they were like, wait, wait, wait. So people are asking me if your marriage is over. Is your
1: marriage over? And I was like, no, (laughs) no, it's not. Oh, my goodness. Christy, is there a right, like, I'm, I'm, I'm jumping over to you, yeah. um, is there a right time to bring family into these kinds of conversations? Because I feel like there's, there's that balance of this is our personal lives and our decisions and what we do is only going to, if it's going to affect us positively, we're going to do it. But there is this other element of, okay, what if someone sells this person who we're close to and they don't know yet?
4: Yeah, no, the the right time is whenever you feel like it, right? Like it's whenever you want to, which is really tricky because there is all of this pressure and obligation and this sense that you don't necessarily even have the right to choose or the right to these freedoms. When of course you do, but those choices are going to affect other people. So it's tricky no matter how you slice it. But what I encourage people to remember, and you know, one of the reasons we don't typically recognize like, coming out day on this show or have some you know, tense concerns around that area is just because while it can be beautiful to have a coming out experience, to uh, make an announcement to the world, to feel visible and to share that with other people, you certainly don't owe it to anybody. It's incredibly optional, and this idea that only queer people are obligated to do it is Mm. just a a really false myth that I I hope we can stop propagating as a community.
1: Can you imagine if you've been married, and then you decided to come out as Guys, I'm straight. Yeah, <laughs> like God, I, I know that this might not be what you wanted for me and my husband, but we are we are straight. <laughs>
4: this is a very difficult time in our relationship. I just need you to know that I'm attracted to my wife. Uh, I just there's a part of me that wants to fuck her, and I just don't know how to tell you about that. I'm sorry that you're so upset, Grandma
1: we should, should have a reverse ridiculous it should be we should have a reverse coming out day on this show <laughs>
4: <Yeah>. <laughs> uh well we just, it, that feels like a going into the closet day i'm not so sure i can get behind that oh, either That's
1: fair. that actually just, does you sound know like we'll, that. So <laughs> we'll workshop it
4: we'll workshop we'll workshop
1: it, it but we're gonna platform a couple straight people to tell us their harrowing experience <laughs> yeah
4: thank you so much <laughs> <laughs>
1: I went to prom.
4: (laughs) Do they let straight people on YouTube? I didn't even. Was that a thing?
1: Right. Do straight people do YouTube? I don't think that's a thing. I don't. They're not allowed to have a voice. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So thank you so much for sharing a little bit about you, Jenna, and about your your journey, your experiences. Hopefully, it it is a sounds cheesy to say a beacon, but it does sound like you have had a really good experience overall, and that is probably very important to, to hear as you're coming into this, this situation, whether that's coming out of religion or coming out of, out of, um, realizing your sexuality, uh, all of that, there, there are happy endings, right? There are ways that you can, um, you can communicate with your partner and, uh, have it only strengthen your relationship. Uh, with that, though, I think we do have a couple calls on the line. Christy, do you want to take a couple calls?
4: Yeah, absolutely. Let's jump on the line with Anthony, who actually wanted to talk to us about coming out in some of these processes. So, Anthony, uh, what can we do for you tonight? Hey, guys, how's it going? Good. Going That's good. What's on your mind?
0: Good. Um, I guess I'll just jump uh, right into it. Uh, I still need to fully come out to uh, my mom and uh, maybe a couple other family members, but. Um, I suppose I'm just calling to get advice on the best way, given, uh, my more unique situation. And I can even explain in just like a couple minutes what that is.
4: Yeah. Or, do. What are you up against?
0: Yeah. Uh, well, uh, brief background. Uh, my parents met in Bible college, uh, moved to Ohio, then had us, uh, three kids, me and my two brothers, uh, then moved here to Florida. Uh, a few years after moving here, my mom discovered that my dad had been talking to someone else uh, for the past several months, another man. Uh, Then uh, a little while after that, um, obviously, my mom was kind of shocked by that. And uh, she filed for divorce. um, And I found out at the time I was about 10 years old uh, about all of this. Um, And then coming to terms with my my own sexuality, I was probably about uh, 12 or 13 or so. Um, but I guess I'm just wondering, um, as I'm on the path to, you, you know, I've watched like the atheist experience and, and secular sexuality over the past like year or two, um, on my own path to atheism, I'm also on the path to coming out to even my like most intimate family members. Now I've already come out to the majority of my family and I've will. come out to the majority of people, I, the majority of people I work with. Um, but the only remaining family member, as far as who's close to me besides like distant family members would mm-hmm. be, uh, my mom, like my dad knows my brothers know, are all comfortable with it. All my coworkers are totally cool with it. Now I'm kind of wondering because it's such a tricky situation, you know, we were raised in a apostolic fundamentalist, uh, Christian households. So my grandparents were apostolic pastors like Pentecostal apostolic, and uh, my mom is their daughter. So she's almost 60 now. So how do, I, how do I come out to her in a way that is, I guess, I don't know the best way to do it in that she's been sort of uh, like tarnished because of the experience with my dad.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Also, she has all of the religion influences in mm-hmm. her brain as well. So does that, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to navigate coming out to her, even though I've already done it to everybody else, even I, I did it. The majority of people I came out to, I came out on the day that same sex marriage was legalized in the United States.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So in 2015. So, but this is years later now. And she's still, it, she's even aware of a couple experience I had with other guys and I don't know how to come out to her as gay. So I just kind of wanted to know what you guys thought about that.
4: Sure. Well, I I definitely recognize that you're calling in for advice, right? And I don't want to dismiss that or walk away from it too quickly. But I guess I want to couch all of this from the understanding that you have no obligation here. That if you choose to share this part of yourself because you feel like it will bring you a sense of closure, bring you a sense of connection, bring you a sense of intimacy with your mother, then fantastic. Let's figure out a way to do it. But I want to make sure you know that this is not anything that has a ticking clock, anything that you owe to her or owe to the world in any particular sense. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And do you think that if I were to share this part because it's like, it's sort of like the elephant in the room in that she has an idea like mm-hmm. because she is somewhat aware. But in the religion sense, it what I have found is those things are usually put in like a denial category yeah. sure. where yeah. they may know it, it's there, but it's not really acknowledged or they'll call it a phase or they'll call it the devil is just tempting you or whatever, which is like a form of denial. Mm -hmm. But if I were to make this profession, like, if I were to profess this, like, I feel like she, it might be, half of me wants to just give subtle cues and just let her know, hey, this is where I'm at with little comments or little acknowledgments. And half of me wants to just lay it out there, like, this Mm -hmm. is how it is. But I know if if I lay it out there as this is how it is, me professing that in her head, even though she's a mom, a great mom, and loves her kids. And what's the best, best for them? It's channeled through a religion mindset. So her wanting the best for her kids means them wanting not to be sent to hell forever. Sure, so right. her care is transferred through that funnel where I don't know how to separate like those things for her. Like, uh, like I'm doing this for me, but she can't. Like, like She may burst into tears and think I'm going to be burning forever. Like, mm-hmm.
1: that's the likelihood.
4: Yeah. And well, I, I hear that anxiety. Uh, so I'm, I'm sorry, V, let me just jump in real quickly. I, I hear that anxiety, and I think that there may be some value in trying to split the difference, right? Not being passive, not just sort of casually mentioning, playing the pronoun game, talking about your friend, Gary, or these kinds of things where you're dropping hints, but also not making a big production and creating a lot of anxiety by saying, mother, we need to have a talk, you know, not necessarily creating that sense of drama around it and just presenting it in an open and honest way that says, mom, uh, I I, love you. I wanted to share this thing about you. I feel a little uncomfortable that we haven't talked about it before. And I just wanted to kind of mention to you that this has been my experience. I personally, I wouldn't recommend tying in a lot of concerns around her personal experience or around your father, or these different things. I hear that you're sensitive to them. And that to me feels like enough because she's going to let you know where this is striking her, what her initial reaction is, where her particular triggers are. And so long as you are in communication with her and responding to that, I don't know that you necessarily need to take your story and fold it in or complicate it with all of this additional baggage. Really, if you feel it's important to share this side of yourself with her, and I I think it really can be, I would encourage you to in the least flashy way, but in the most direct way, just kindly let her know that this is a piece of yourself. Uh, V and Jenna, let me let y'all jump in.
1: Yeah. um, I am going to first echo what Christy said about, this is not something that anyone owes you. owe anybody. This is not a a declaration that people are going to be uh, uh, waiting for and tapping their foot and looking at their watch. Like when, When's he going to come out? Um, But uh, I also know that if I were in the position of uh, your mom, I would feel like if everybody else in my family knew this very important thing about somebody that I loved, then I would also want to know that even if it was going to hurt, even if it was going to be confusing. I think if she finds out in a way that is not the way you want um there could be some damage there and it's not again to say you should run home and do that right now or anything like that but i think that wanting to mitigate the hurt is understandable and it's valid. But also you cannot parse her religion from her experience, from her love from you for her. That is something she is going to have to do. And it's something that she's going to have to confront uh, if you decide to talk with her about this. This is not on you to to navigate uh, how she is going to interpret this. The most you can do, the absolute most, is to just be honest and be there as she is processing this as long as that's mentally and emotionally and physically safe for you to do
0: yeah and how, how would you um you know because i'm gonna have this conversation with her and i what i believe is you know while i uh, i'm i'm certainly hearing all you guys are saying and i certainly agree with that i don't owe it to anybody as far as you know having i, I shouldn't feel forced to come out to anybody Or, like, nobody should be, I shouldn't think anybody's waiting for that. But um, I know if I do, especially just somebody so important to me, like, you know, one of your parents, sharing something so personal to you, it would open up so much more just channels for honesty in every other aspect. As far as, if you were to do this, like, be open about this, every every other channel is so open because of how sensitive this is to them. Mm Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of, uh, i that's kind of my motivation to do it. And I want to do, I'd rather do it soon, just so I can, I'm 28 now, but as far as, I don't want to have part of my life concealed from them because I want them to still be involved in my life.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So um, I know it would be more rewarding, I think, if we were just totally honest with each other and that way it could be fully transparent. But I know that when I that does happen, she will probably pull out the Bible and be like, "Well, you know what the Bible says." Because mm-hmm. I was brought up in that. And mm-hmm. what I'm not ready to do is also come out as atheist at the same time and say that, "Well, I don't agree with the Bible either. I don't believe any of it."
1: Right, right. That would be a that would be a twofer so for sure.
0: Right, so right, so not only do I have you know coming out in hopes that it won't trigger something in her because of her past experience with my dad also won't cause too much rejection because of the religion. But mm-hmm. then to dispute it by facing it with my own atheism, I don't really know how to navigate all of that.
1: Right. I think what I would just, what I would say there, and that is, that's is, that's a reasonable thing to, to be concerned about. Um, and I know that I have faced similar things coming out as bi and will face similar things when I do finally officially come out to my family as non-binary. But the, the most I can, I can offer you right now, I think is to say you do not owe her uh, the satisfaction of letting her, hurt you emotionally or mentally or berate you using the Bible, right? If, if she pulls out the Bible and says, well, you know what the Bible says, you have every right to say, mom, I wanted to tell you because I wanted to be honest with you. And I want this to mm-hmm. be a, a place where we could be honest with each other. But I, I'm not interested in having you refute this. I know who I am. I know what I want. And this is not the time or the place for this. And if you're going to continue down this path, I'm going to leave. And then it becomes a choice that she has to make again, which is her prerogative. Do I continue down the path of trying to, uh, you know, make my point or do I? follow my son's lead and use this as an opportunity to grow together.
4: Yeah, I I really appreciate that, V, that it's not about uh, having an argument. Right. Because there are plenty of websites that can show you how to go through the Bible and debunk the verses around homosexuality and to get into all of the hermeneutics and all of the sophisticated interpretation of what this specific Hebrew word meant to these people at this time. I don't see that there's going to be any value in sharing yourself with your mother while also having this etymological argument and debate. It really is just about saying, mom, this is me. This is true facts about me. They're not open for debate. And I hope that you feel okay about that. But this is just new information for you. Do with it what you will. And part of why I think we keep couching all of these answers in the revelation that you don't have to have these conversations is because the conversation might not go well. And I just want to acknowledge that for you, that as important Mm -hmm. as this is, and as much as I empathize with your desire for it, I want to acknowledge that there's not a way to control for that. There's not a way to master her response. And you Mm -hmm. can try to mitigate it by being kind, by being open, by being honest and direct, but that this could very well be a divisive issue, and it may even damage your relationship in a lasting way. And I, I, just want to be sensitive and honest about that fact.
2: Yeah,
3: I, and I, I would want I, to I add. I certainly appreciate. Oh,
4: yeah,
3: um, I just wanted to add. I, I can't offer you any advice better than what they've given you. They've given you fantastic advice that I'm going to take myself. Um, <laughs> but I can speak from my experience and what I, what I didn't like about it. Um, but also, it's just it's very different in that I, I came out publicly on Facebook and I didn't tell anyone in my family. Uh, I regret that. Because now I'm out and I have no idea what anybody thinks. I have no idea who knows. I have no idea who's talking about it. I have no idea who cares. So I I realize that what I should have done is I should have expl- displayed the behavior that I wanted to see from them. I should have let it come about in a normal conversation in my experience with my family um, because that was the only honest way to do that um, because... Putting it in their face like that hurt them and scared them. And now I just hear silence. Um, But at the same time, be careful not to assume anything because I thought I would get a certain reaction and it was the complete opposite. And I mean, I think I know my family, but then something like this happens and you find out who knows, everybody's different, Mm -hmm. but don't beat yourself up. (laughs)
0: You're saying that, yeah. So Jenna, you're saying that sort of let it come about as naturally as possible in a conversation.
3: if I could do it again, I would just allow any conversation that I have with any family member, casually drift towards sexuality or whatever I, it, you know, it comes to, and then as it comes up, as it becomes appropriate, say, "Oh, you know, I'm an atheist," or "Oh, you know, I'm I'm pansexual," and then just not have it be an in your face kind of thing, you know?
0: Yeah, and it doesn't have to be like a broadcasted announcement. It's just kind of like, mm-hmm. well,
3: this I shouldn't kind of how it is. Yeah. But also, if it's eating you alive from the inside out and, you know, I have over 100, you know, immediate family members, it may have been the best way for me. Who knows? Um, But either way, I don't beat yourself
2: up.
1: Right, exactly what Jenna said. You're going to set the tone for this and you're going to, to, if if you make it into a declaration, it's going to be taken as such. If you make it as, hey, part of a normal conversation, also by the way, uh, then the reaction is going to have to match that or it will be perceived as overblown even by the person giving it. If that person has, you know, the ability to see that in themselves, then yeah, I I think that's a really good point, Jenna. Thank you. Thank
0: you. Yeah.: and place, I and I hope.
1: Yeah, thank you so yeah, much for calling. I, I appreciate it. Good luck.:
0: Yeah, I definitely appreciate it. I'm going to kind of take all of this, all you guys said, I appreciate your advice and just you willing to listen, um, your willingness to listen, and um, I think I can find the right timing to do this in like the most comfortable way. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, she's the fast, she's the last immediately fam- immediate family member that you know I have to come out to. Everybody else knows. So everybody else was kind of like a practice round too. So she it's might like, know. you might already know. Well, yeah, that's the thing too. She kind of does, I mean, she knows the previous experiences that I've had, like specific examples. So it's like, she already knows it has happened as far as like in my life before it's come up, but she doesn't, I don't know if she's ready for me to actually make that bold statement. Like, you know, just this is the you know actual way it is.
3: Mm-hmm. Up until
0: now, it's like, she thinks this is, it was just a phase, or it was just maybe he's something he's growing into or whatever, but she at least has the idea. And I, I think that uh, that by itself makes it a little bit easier as far as when the declaration or whatever, when the hint or conversation does come up.
1: Oh, for sure. I think that if, if this is not out of left field, it's going to make things a lot easier. Um, we are going to probably have to move on to other callers. Um, but if you do end up talking with your mom, call back, let us know how it went.
4: Yeah, shoot us an email, whatever else. We'd love to just catch an update and hear your your success story, which is what I'm really trusting because I see how intentionally you're taking this. And Mm -hmm. so I guess I'd I'd encourage you to sleep on this, to think about it, to maybe even watch this episode again and just kind of hear your own voice a little bit distantly and get that objectivity and just check in with yourself, see how it hits you, see how it strikes your nervous Mm -hmm. system and think about how you're feeling as you're moving forward
0: yeah i definitely will i appreciate you guys taking my
4: call absolutely take care Have a
1: good night good luck all right do we want to take another caller we've got a couple more
4: yeah absolutely uh let's speak to lee in new jersey uh about life as a non-binary person lee what can we do
2: for you tonight hey how's
1: it going hi going good how are you i'm
2: pretty good so uh so my thing kind of started like last year where I decided to go from having really long hair to suddenly having really short hair. And then that slowly just turned into the <laughs> quote-unquote flippering slope. <laughs> <laughs> from, like, I'm on the oof, way. Oof. It's <laughs> a gateway gender. It's hitting me deeply.
4: is <laughs> a gateway gender.
2: Yep, precisely. I mean, it's, I mean, one thing I even remember from back when I was a kid was thinking like you know, why don't, like, the thing between my legs is definitely wrong. There must have been something that went wrong along the way, but anyway, um, so I got to the point where I am now, where I'm kind of um, trying to figure out exactly how, I guess it's a two-part thing, is one is, how do I go through life as, like, a a non-binary-esque person, but also how to go through it where I'm You know, I I hear these stories about people who come out-ish who realize they were trans when they were, you know, kids. And they're like, I just knew that I was the wrong gender or that they're, you know, they're gay or lesbian. And they're like, oh, I need to come out to everybody because I need everyone to know this is part. And I just don't really have that, like, connection. I don't really care that much. But Mm -hmm. how do I do that in a world that cares? Mm. Both in, like, dating and just in, like, interacting with people. Because, like, you know, an example is someone at my work asked me, oh, what are your pronouns? And I was just like, eh, either is fine. And they did not seem to be comfortable with that answer.
1: <laughs> right. Oh, I've, I've this is like speaking to myself. I've been, I've been there fully. Um, yeah, I think uh, as far as part one goes and kind of how to just be, it's slowly I can speak from my experience only. Um, here as a fellow non-binary person who also started thinking about things seriously about a year ago. Um, What I found is once I kind of dropped the, oh, I'm supposed to be this way or that way, or oh, this is not for me, this kind of uh, dress, this kind of haircut, this kind of cologne, whatever it is. Um, Once I realized that those were not rules that I needed to abide by anymore, I started thinking about gender and presentation as a playground. And I started experimenting and I started saying, okay, what do I feel like today? And it didn't have to have a name and it could just be what made me feel the most comfortable in my body. And that could have been, uh, a blazer and jeans and combat boots and a beanie or whatever, or it could be like a, a high femme dress situation with a blonde wig and like lots of makeup, uh, and it was so freeing. But it did take a lot of intentionality of realizing that i had internalized a lot of those rules and that a lot of the discomfort and the out-of-placeness i was feeling was not something internal to me and that was something that was being externally placed that i was allowing in my life so getting rid of that and and that's still a process i'm still not fully there by any means i'm getting just very slightly dysphoric with the length of the hair that's on my head right now, because I can't go get it cut. Um, but this is, this is something that is going to be a very uh, a long and playful and fun and adventurous process. If you let it um, where you get to define what living life as you looks like. Um, and then I don't want to monopolize the conversation too, too much here. <laughs> um, but, I do wanna address part two real quick, which is how you phrased it so beautifully too, how to go through the world if you don't care when they do. And that's tricky, I'm still I'm still figuring that out. <laughs> but for right now, I think as you start uh, figuring out how to live life as Lee and what that looks like and what feels good and what feels better than good, um, you're going to start finding out what kind of person you want to be around and what kind of person you want to present to the world and that's going to shift and that's going to change for a long time when i first came to the aca i was going by she her pronouns and then about a couple months in i was like mm. It doesn't it doesn't feel right it doesn't feel right cuz I'd already started thinking about it so I was like okay I'm going to go by she her or they them And then I would have the same conversation that you referenced. What's your what what are your pronouns? Uh, Whatever. Call me anything you want. It's fine. And that, again, yeah, was never satisfying for the other person. It was always very confusing. Um, And then very recently, a couple months ago, I realized that she her just really didn't sit right at all. So I removed that. And even just today, I had to have a conversation where I was like, oh, actually, by the way, I'm they them now. And it's just because I don't care enough to tell everybody that that was the case. And when they, you know, forget or get mixed up, that's not a big deal. But it uh, it is definitely a process. And and realizing that you are going to move fluidly through this, and that where you are right now could be where you end up, or it might be the starting point of something much different later down the line. Um, that is going to help. I think, not only give you a place to put your focus, but also help you understand other people and why they care a little bit.
3: Before you respond, I have a question that has to do with this. And I'm so happy that you have the opportunity to speak about this and because this is important. But so as you mentioned before the show, you said that you hadn't told the crew that you were they, them yet. And I thought that everybody knew. And so somebody had accidentally said, or actually said, she And I kind of went (laughs) they, and that's how the conversation came up and that's how they found out you're a they but I wonder and I after I'd said that I'd wonder is that my place
1: yes um that is a great question Jenna and Lee uh you can feel free to weigh in on this too um uh I personally find that very validating when Mm -hmm. somebody does jump in and say hey by the way and if, if somebody were to get really angry at someone who didn't know, like, how dare you, or like try to white knight it, then it's annoying. <laughs> and then it's like, okay, what are you trying to prove? Because that's, I wouldn't get that mad about it. Um, but if you, if you are in the, if you are in the vicinity of somebody and they're, they're using the wrong pronoun, um, as long as you know that they are out publicly, then yes definitely jump in, and say, hey, by the way, um, the only caveat there would be, like, I'm, I'm very clearly out publicly. <laughs> I talk about it on live air um, to the people in the room. So that's fine. But in Lee's case, Lee, how do you feel about maybe somebody jumping in and saying, oh, by the way, um, Lee prefers these pronouns, or these are Lee's pronouns? Well,
2: that's the thing, I don't, like, I don't really care what someone Calls me, so that kind of went along with what my my friend's reaction when he asked me, and I said I didn't care. So like you know, I've been called sir before because the the way I am is I have I have short hair and I dress more masculine, so I've been mistaken for sir, and I don't really care. People who know me, you know, I've been you know I'm been female and whatever, so people know you know my my name is you know a female name, so they call me she or you know miss or whoever. And like either, as long as I know they're talking to me, I don't care if the person calls me sir or calls me Miss, whoever. So Mm -hmm. I don't care. But then that kind of blends into, you know, if if I'm talking to someone and they are calling me, you know, Mister, and the person next to me knows or thinks, you know, says, oh wait, she's Miss, and they start saying, oh no, it's Miss, care, and then I'm like, you know, just forget it. You know, how, how do I kind of navigate that sort of issue where, again, I don't care, but again, everyone else kind of does and tries to make sure, you know, the ones who are go by sir then are certain people who go by ma'am or miss, and it's, stuff, you know, along those lines, I guess, is what I'm – like, like, for example, I, I dress more masculine at work. I wear, like, suits, but I don't really wear ties because I don't really like ties,
3: mm-hmm. but,
2: you know, usually the females don't have to wear ties. But if I'm dressing more masculine, does that mean I should wear ties because that's what men typically wear? Or should I just kind of dress the way I am? Because I I don't want people to be mad at me for, you know, the man not wearing a tie to a professional outing. But technically, (laughs) I'm not
1: really a man. So (laughs) Technically, everybody else there and they just don't realize it. (laughs) Let me me step
4: in with a, a strange metaphor if I can that I think will, will fit this uh so my name is not Christy in the sense of my birth certificate uh, that's not what my mother named me my mother named me Christian and I after a certain point didn't want my the first thing that people thought of when they met me to be a 2,000 year old system of oppression go figure <laughs> right and so I, I could have gone with Chris. I could have gone with all of these different options. Somebody threw out Kai as a possibility. I don't feel like I could pull off Kai. And so <laughs> I, you know, Chris didn't seem like the right fit. And I wanted to acknowledge and embrace uh, the feminine aspects of my identity. And frankly, in a sort of a n- younger, naive way, wanted to draw fire in particular from trans and envy folks. And so I, I came to this moniker, and to be clear, that's not a, a stage name in the sense that my, my kiddo, my partner, they call me Christy, my family calls me Christy, these types of things. Uh, I made it up, and it's not written down anywhere formal or official, so how do you spell it? right? Like my birth name is Christian. So do I use a Y? Do I use an IE? Should I throw a K in there just to fuck with people? (laughs) Uh, And I don't particularly care. It's really not motivating to me to be super concerned about how people spell my name. I've never been that person. I've never really understood folks who get pissed off at their Starbucks barista for not including an H at the end of Sarah. (laughs) It's just never been a motivator for me personally But I also feel, if not an obligation, then at least a certain conscientiousness when I do shows like this, when I am, you know, speaking somewhere, when I'm handing out business cards, I have to choose a spelling. And that's not to suggest that you have to pick a pronoun and it's yours and you're obligated to it and it's an anchor around your neck and that you have to be dealing with it forever. But in the same way that I can change my name and I can change the spelling of my name, I try to keep some consistency in my branding, in my brand, in the way I communicate to people. And so I do try to have some sort of answer to the question of how do you spell that? your pronouns can change. Your pronouns can change at any point. You're not bound to them. And you do have the opportunity, I think, to go on vacation and introduce yourself as he, him, to go on vacation and introduce yourself as they, them, to try on with friends and family, these different pronouns, these different labels, these different opportunities, while also having some chance to take some of the fear and confusion out of the world by having some sort of pat answer. I don't know, V, does that come across as dismissive?
1: No, I don't think it's dismissive. Um, I think that we are taught that pronouns are important for some reason.
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs)
1: And there's a lot of pressure put on. I really wish
2: that there's just a singular non-gendered pronoun so everyone can use. Like instead of they just have like something else that everyone can just use, that the singular non-gendered pronoun would be great. (laughs)
1: Person? Right, there are some there are some actually um i there there's still catching one
2: that's like, on I mean it's one's like mainstream as opposed to right
1: like, oh, that would you know, be nice random
2: ones that people kind of <laughs> scoff at yeah
1: right, no, that's the whole thing right there it's it it's so important, but you can only use these it's it's so indicative of who you are as a person, but don't get creative with it please <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 a weird it's a it's really weird, and people care too much. And (laughs) even, even. Interesting, as a non-binary person, even within the LGBTQ community, I understand that there are certainly binary trans folk for whom anything but their actual pronoun is dysphoric. And of course it matters to them. But there's even this pressure in those spaces as well to pick a pronoun and to, to go with it and to say it and to be upfront with it. And for some people, it just is like, that's not something I've thought about. I'm not there yet. I'm not, I'm not in a place where I can choose one or in your case there isn't one for me like I know what I would like but it doesn't exist yet um and so that's kind of why I'm so excited about on like the online uh LGBTQ space is because we are coming up with these words and these, these phrases and these terms and these pronouns that slowly but surely are being normalized. And I bet you anything, we are one of the last generations who are going to have to deal with, uh, I wish there was a non-gender pronoun that was mainstream. That wasn't they, them. Um, but it's kind of just all part and parcel with being born in this time period. And I validate that, Issue. It is. It is a, It's a, mm-hmm. It's annoying. It's. It's an annoyance, and it's something that, you know, you shouldn't have to worry about or deal with. Um, but the fact that you are being bold in in the way that you're presenting, in the way that you are claiming your uh, fluidity, um, even if it is a little bit jarring, that too can be very valuable. <laughs> if, <laughs> if someone comes to you and says, "What, what's your pronoun?" And you say, "I don't care." what? That's a possibility? <laughs> that's an option? What's going on? So by itself, it's it's a huge act of, of moving that conversation forward. And I think that's kind of where Christy was going as well. You're calling into this show. You are You're being yourself. You are putting thought and intention into living life as a non-binary person who is willing and able to say, hey, that's not who I am. I don't care about pronouns. Your preconceived notions do not apply here. And that by itself is amazing. And I wish I could give you, oh, I guess there is this non-binary pronoun that is perfect for you. Um, But it could be that you're the one who comes up with it.
2: I'll take that. I'll trademark it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Uh, Thank you so much for calling in, Lee. I really appreciate it. I felt very seen tonight.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Same here. Thanks for, thanks for talking to me. Have a
1: good night. You too. Y'all are awesome. (laughs) (laughs) I just love finding out that there are other people who have similar experiences. That's why we do what we do. So when
3: I first started volunteering here, um, a little over a year ago, and I I knew that there was this person named Christy on the show and, Mm -hmm. and as a new non-Christian, I, of course, I assumed a woman and then I (laughs) see you and then I'm like, Oh, okay. So, you know, whatever. And then I remember I, I, th- I kind of pondered on it a couple of mm-hmm. times, like, oh, I wonder why he goes by Chris. Like it, but then I kind of just, you know what? It doesn't matter, like it's his name, you know? And I noticed that at one point, like you, you wore nail polish one day. And I remember I was wondering, I was like, oh, I want you know what, <laughs> it doesn't matter. And that I think you were the first person that I met that displayed comfortably something other than um, a, you know, a, a predictable norm. Sure. And made me feel so much more comfortable at the ACA because of that. Just be, just because your name was Christy and every now and then you do something that's a little more feminine than what I would have expected. That's it. You know, like I want to thank you for that.
4: Hey, no, I, I really appreciate it. I... I get questions about it, you know, fairly frequently. I used to do a lot of phone work and I, you know, got very tired of spelling it to people over the phone. (laughs) Uh, And I I might even, you know, I don't want to talk about Lee or talk about UV, uh, but I assume that some of the ambivalence that a lot of us experience is just out of being like kind of spent. You know, not wanting to have that conversation again. It's like, sure, ca- call me he, call me her. Just don't call me late for dinner. I don't want to be bothered <laughs> by this conversation anymore. I uh, tried
1: so hard to steer us away from that particular pun this entire <laughs> conversation. <laughs>
4: and, uh. Look, that's what you hired me for. That's why I'm here. All right. To make cheesy jokes uh, and to, uh, I guess, have a beard. I don't know, even know where I'm going with any of this other than to say that I I appreciate you saying that jenna but yeah um for me it's not like I, I like that model that you're discussing jenna i like this idea of it just is you know it doesn't necessarily need to have a story and it probably does have a story but that doesn't necessarily need to be something that you're curious about so you why, know? if you
3: wanted to tell me you'd tell me
4: Sure. And if somebody is named after their grandfather, or if they are named after a famous person, or if their middle name happens to be a Civil War general who was not on the right side of history... (laughs) 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 That's okay. It's a story, but it's not necessarily a story that they owe you, that they are obligated to share with you. And I, you know, we're clearly here talking about ourselves on air and that's what we're here to do. But I just want to make it really clear for everybody else out there that how, when, if to share these things is completely up to you.
1: Right. And that kind of ties back into our main topic. I'm trying desperately to <laughs> work and, and push into this beautifully expanding box. But um, no, the, the idea that there are thing there are stories that you are entitled to on your own. And then there are stories that you are entitled to and you've agreed to share with one other person or two other people or however many other people are in that circle. Um, but yeah, uh, I think a Big thing is emotional labor, and the and the idea. This happens on Twitter all the time, not just to me as a queer person, but at, I, I see so many of my friends who are who are Black, who are Hispanic, who have to deal with this as well, which is just educate me, please. I don't know how to use Google. (laughs) Tell me all about gender (laughs) right now because I don't get it. Mm. And it's not always always, uh, ill-intentioned, right? It's not necessarily a thing that you are uh, trying to do to get on someone's nerves. But after a while, after you've explained yourself and tried to justify who you are and why it makes sense to the third or fourth random internet person, you're kind of like, I don't care anymore. <laughs> like, just call me whatever you want. Just make it stop. So there is this, this element as well of being being aware when you are doing it and when others are asking it of you.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It being emotional labor. So, yeah, just making sure that there is that differentiation, especially as you are having conversations about change with a partner. How much of this is something that I need to share with this person who I've agreed to have in my life, who I want to be honest and open with? And how much of it is me justifying my existence because someone can't be fucked to in Google? <laughs> I have feelings.
4: Yeah. No, seriously. <sighs> legit.
3: And to the act to, to activists like us, like like y'all are kind of already said it, but be considering the fact that we're activists and that we spend a lot of our time dealing with conversations like this and having conversations like this and inviting conversations like this, like y'all said, that doesn't mean that we're required to share everything. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean that we're required to, required to share anything at any time. Um, just like before we got on this show, y'all asked me, okay, what are you comfortable with us sharing? You know just because we're we care and we do share things, like y'all said, doesn't mean you have to yeah. right well and said. just
1: because you say. I don't care what pronoun you use for me doesn't mean that they are entitled to a dissertation on why they them actually existed in the 1300s for your information. And it's in Pride and Prejudice. (laughs) So there. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Um, We are coming up on top of the hour and we do have a few more interview questions for you, Jenna, and to discuss as a group. But I do want to make sure we get to Michael in Florida first.
4: All right, let me get Michael on the line. Uh, Michael, you wanted to talk about a, a narcissistic partner. What's on your mind tonight?
5: Yeah, so basically it's not that I have a narcissistic partner. Um, and I've actually called in to talk even before and talked about this, but uh, basically I um, had the chance of leaving a cult. And after um, spending a lot of time just doing research on cults, one thing I noticed is that um, cult leaders have tend to have narcissistic personality disorder it's very common naturally and so what I was wondering about with the topic is um like how do you deal with um somebody who is narcissistic and then all of a sudden gets religion or to put it more bluntly I guess to put it more bluntly why is it that when a narcissist gets religion everybody else gets screwed
2: hmm.
1: <laughs> Oh, this, this entire show is just like V, I see you. Uh, (laughs) It's actually quite disconcerting. (laughs) Also. Hi, Michael. I think I remember you. Um,
5: yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm going to let Christy start this one off if you want to, or Jenna. Sure. I (laughs) I mean, I've been talking a lot. (laughs) Well, I,
4: I guess I just have to say as a therapist, uh, the number of people who come into my office to tell me that somebody that they love has narcissistic personality disorder greatly outstrips the number of Americans who have narcissistic personality <laughs> disorder. That is Fair. not at all. Michael, for me to dismiss your experience or to tell you about you But I do want to be really careful in the way we throw around these diagnoses and the way we throw around this terminology and just encourage you to not see your partner or whoever we're speaking of as a different type of person, as if you are a homo homo sapien and they are some other completely different species. Just because you have a diagnosis like the one that you're describing All of that is to say that you have symptomology that statistically happens to line up with other people who happen to also have certain symptoms. It's not a prescriptive label. It's not a, uh, particularly when we're talking about NPD, we're not talking about a genetic concordance. We're really just describing a bunch of personality traits, and it can be useful to have these labels. But I just want to make sure that you're treating this person as a person first and acknowledging that they may have some personality traits that are really difficult. And I certainly empathize if you feel like you are being uh, criticized, if you're being condemned, if you're being controlled because of their religiosity. But I, I just want to maybe mention all of that as we're having this conversation about that particular diagnostic label.
1: Right, and Michael, I'm pretty sure Chrissy, you meant you in the general sense, because Michael personally does not have a partner who is uh, narcissistically. Uh,
4: I'm uh, sorry, I must have misunderstood that.
2: Yeah, yeah, when
5: I yeah, so when I talk about when I'm talking about narcissistic personality disorder, and I don't want to mention his name, but I'm mostly referring to the leader of the group that I was in, and you know, just over time seeing how he would interact with people and. I don't necessarily blame Christianity or the religion for that 100%, but it's, I mean, I just don't understand how people can use their religion or, um, other beliefs as a justification to feed into their narcissism. You know, I just think that in this case, uh, the religion provided him the opportunity to feed into that. Does that
1: mean? Yeah. Yeah, I do. And I and I want to avoid talking about hypothetical people or people who are not in the room just because that tends to get into straw manning pretty easily. But I do, yeah. you know, understand exactly where you're coming from as somebody who had a a parent who displayed very many of the personality traits of somebody with NPD and who used religion as a cudgel to oppress and to control. I get it. Um, And I think this kind of touches on a broader conversation that I think we are going to get into in the last 15, 20 minutes of the show, which is, okay, so we're talking about change in a relationship. What happens when that change is not good? What happens when that change is not uh, you know, just a lateral shift, but something that actually diminishes the 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 quality of the relationship. Whether that's um, somebody who finds. Uh, a, a hole on a particular uh, ideology and starts influencing the, the relationship in a way that is not conducive to it being healthy or positive, uh, how do we deal with that? And when do we know when enough is enough? Because at some point, sometimes these changes can be worked through. And if you care about the other person, I think that a good first step is to take the, the, the mindset of let's find a way to work through this. But that's not always possible. That's not always the case. Um, So, yeah, I think that kind of opens us up to a broader conversation that ties very nicely into the last segment of our interview with Jenna. So, Michael, I'm going to take this and I'm going to run with it and we're going (laughs) to finish out this conversation, (laughs) wrapping back into this concept of when is the change something that ends a relationship? So thank you so much for bringing this up in such a perfectly like wrap everything up in a bow kind of way
5: (laughs) yeah (laughs) it all ties in
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's all connected (laughs) all right thank you so much for calling in Michael I really appreciate it and I hope to hear back from you either on this show or talk you then
5: thank you very much
1: have a good rest of your night take care Awesome. That actually worked very well <laughs> with this <laughs> last this last group of questions um, as we kind of wrap up. Um, so I feel like we, we didn't get to get into too much of Christy's experiences or my experiences, but we all have these experiences, right, of things changing in a relationship that could make or break it, could be the thing that makes it 10 times better, or could be the thing that you know, makes us decide to part ways. Um, So in our collective experiences, because we are the experts of our own lives, and hopefully our, our thoughts will help others feel less alone, what are some good tools to use to get your relationship through a period of change? Jenna, I know you were talking about communicating constantly with your husband and nothing was ever out of left field. It sounds like because you were open about every step in the process.
3: Yes, actually um, when I started being open with him about my confusion with um, who I was physically, sexually, emotionally, romantically attracted to um, and he was open to it, he actually had decided um, or we had decided that he was okay with for the time me going out and exploring whatever I wanted Hmm. okay so this is an agreement that we made with each other for that time that you know this is what's happening this is what we're both okay with now that doesn't mean that all of a sudden we're in a poly relationship that also doesn't mean that all of a sudden we're in an open relationship it just means that he allowed me the freedom to explore and after we did that we're still I mean we're the word I, I use is was we're monogamish. Like we're we're monogamous. We're together, but who knows? Who knows? <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, that that that's what I would say is that communication and honesty from the get go are the only way to make it work. Mm. And I, I avoid extremes in any way I can, but I will use them there. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah. And it's a really good indicator of the strength of the relationship and the overall health. If you feel like you can come to your partner with anything and then just discuss, hey, this this could be a difficult conversation to have. Let's talk about it. And I'm not worried that you're going to, you know, end things or, or get mad at me. This is just something that we are going to talk about that that by itself indicates Really good things for a relationship, and if you feel like maybe you can't do that for whatever reason, if you are f- afraid of your of your safety in any emotional, physical, mental way, um, if you bring up a difficult conversation, that by itself should be something to take into consideration when when. Thinking about your relationship, but yeah. Christy, how about you? How are so? What are some communication techniques to use? I know we talked about radar on this uh, on this show before. We've hyped that up a little bit. Um, what are some other ways that we could uh, better communicate with partners, especially about issues like changing?
4: Yeah. So radar is a great tool and I would definitely encourage anybody who doesn't know what I'm talking about to check out the episode that we did with Dedeker Winston uh, to check out some of the resources and links in the description of this video. Radar is a really excellent communication tool. But beyond that, I think it really comes down to, as Jenna was saying, communication, but specifically communicating safety cues. Mm. Because Anytime we are going through change, that's automatically going to feel like stress and stress is not necessarily a bad thing. Stress can be a, you know, sweaty game of topless volleyball on the beach, Stress can be building a chicken coop that you're really excited about as a backyard project. Stress can be this great number of things. But anytime we're experiencing stress, our bodies start to switch into a different nervous state. We drop out of this uh, place where we are calm, cool, collected, curious, and communicative and get into this more action oriented, I need to go do fight or flight type of circumstance. And the way that we let our partner know that I'm not here to fight or flight you, I'm not here to fight you or run away is to be giving them constant safety cues to be letting them know, hey, I'm talking about this and yeah, there's a stress element, but this can actually be a really exciting, really beautiful thing. And so just to constantly be reassuring them in that way, to be laughing and joking, to be casual, to be expressing that, yes, this is important, but also it's it's kind of silly in a way. You know, we're all just bacteria on the mud, on a rock, flinging through the universe. (laughs) We're all just monkeys in coats using very complicated words to describe our sexuality, (laughs) our religious belief, our feelings, whatever. And without being like nihilistic and absurdist about it, we can just sort of embrace that this is all fun and it's okay and we're playing around with these things. They matter, but they're fun too.
1: Right, I love it. And- Finally, kind of wrapping back to Michael's call, and not to end this on a on a sad note, but <laughs> I do want to acknowledge that sometimes there are relationships that can't move past a change. Sure. And sometimes it's, you know, because of a lack of communication, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just something that makes enough of an impact where the people in that relationship look at it and say, you know what, this isn't what I want anymore. Um, the, the rules have changed, whether or not we agreed on that. We've maybe tried things out and it just doesn't seem to be working. How do you know when it's a change you can work with and when you can't? And do you guys have any words for people who might be facing a change that maybe they don't think they can live with, whether that's with a partner or in a, in a family situation, uh, like we talked about earlier in the show? Uh, how, how do we parse that?
4: You know, one piece of advice I give to all couples is just to recognize that the phrase, and for the rest of my life, can have an incredible weight to it, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. acknowledging that any relationship can end at any time and still be valuable, still be okay, still be really beautiful. Uh, I I don't mean to spoil anything for anybody who hasn't finished The Good Place. Go ahead and fast forward 45 seconds. We (laughs) all need this opportunity to.
1: (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. I finished it.
4: In the the vaguest possible terms, we all need this opportunity to uh, know that there's an end. To things, Right. And that doesn't mean that we want them to end. That doesn't mean that we need to walk through the door, that we need to leave our partner behind, that we want to go on to the next phase. In fact, it can really give us a greater appreciation for what we do have now by simply acknowledging that it can all go away and that would still be okay. But by acknowledging that our relationships may end, we can begin to enjoy them as they are and appreciate them as they exist currently. And if they change, great. If they stay stuck and end, that's okay too. And so I I would just encourage everybody to recognize that No matter how lonely you are, no matter how afraid you are of meeting new people, no matter how much you love your partner or what your hopes or dreams are for your life or your situation, that you are lovable. That in the 7 billion people on the planet, there is a multitude of folks who would absolutely adore the opportunity to spend their life with you. And if you're choosing to be with this person or that person or these people, that's great. But that can all change. And that's okay, because there's still plenty of really wonderful opportunities. There's always more time on the clock for as long as you're here. There's plenty of chances to make a great life. And you don't need to stress about any one specific decision as important and meaningful as these relationships are.
1: Ugh, I love it. I'm oh not crying, God. you're crying. Way to show up, Jenna. I was going to give her the last word, but that seems unfair. <laughs> Jenna, any last thoughts? Well,
3: actually, I was, I was going to kind of add on to that, is that you know, just because a relationship ends doesn't mean you can't take what you learn from that and apply it to the next one. Mm-hmm. So like for you know, any rela- romantic relationship I've been in, I have looked at those and said, okay, what went well, what went wrong? And I've used that in this one. And in addition to that, not only romantic relationship, but with my family, I said, okay, what went wrong? Because a lot went wrong there. And I'm using everything that I can to be very vocal. Okay. I didn't get what I needed here. Can I get it here? I didn't get what I needed here. Can I get it here? You know, and I'm very upfront and honest and I'm constantly trying to figure it out because I'm afraid. But thank you, Christy, for saying that because even though some relationships end, Doesn't mean that they weren't supposed to happen. Doesn't mean that they're rotten. Doesn't mean that they, you know, you should regret them. Um, And also, just because you're related to somebody by law or by blood does not mean that that relationship has
1: to be permanent. Mm -hmm. So that. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Ugh. I love this show. I love you guys. (laughs) So much love in the air right now. Uh, Yeah, I think there's very little I can say to add on to what you guys have so eloquently uh, summed up, except to say that, hey, there's something else out there for you, too. And Mm -hmm. whatever you learned about yourself in this new relation, in this old relationship, you're going to be better able to pick a partner who is good for you. Um, with this new information that you've learned. Mm -hmm. Hey, I like this. Hey, I don't like this. Hey, I'd be willing to try this. I need to find somebody who matches these things. And then if we change, hopefully we get to change together.
4: Yeah. Well, V, if I I may, I'd like to tell a story super quickly uh, that we kind of glossed through, which is just to say that this is a subject that's super near and dear to my heart. Uh, a number of years ago, as my right before my ex and I ended our 11 year relationship, we actually went and got sort of matching tattoos of the Greek symbol of delta, the symbol for change because Mm -hmm. we recognized that our relationship was going through a lot of shifts and that we weren't entirely sure whether or not it was going to continue to last. And a lot of people who knew where we were and what we were sort of thinking at that time were like, you got matching tattoos? Like, this is the last (laughs) ditch effort to make it last. And, you know, I, I was quick to say, like, I Uh, Well, I guess the reason I'm telling this story is because, one, I want to acknowledge that even though that relationship ended, that it's still a part of me. It's still something I carry with me in the way that Jenna was talking about. It was still beautiful. You know, certainly I have some regrets, but it's not as if I would delete that part of my life from my memory. It's not as if I would give up that experience if I had the opportunity. And I guess the other reason I mention it is because... I put a picture of that tattoo on my website in preparation for this episode. And it suddenly occurred to me that if we don't talk about that story, it's going to be super weird. <laughs> we just have that picture out there. So I wanted to make sure to get that on the transcript at some point.
1: <laughs> Yay. Oh, I love it. I love it. Consistency. Great. That's actually my fault. I got the notes out way too late this week. (laughs) Um, uh, Before we jump to social media and how to get in touch with us and how to stay connected to all the lovely people here, I do want to give a shout out to our crew cam and to the lovely group of people who are... Oh, echo.
4: (laughs) Working so hard to keep (laughs)
1: this thing going. (laughs) Uh, I love it. I love it so much. Thank you all so much um, for being here before we were and for making sure that this episode gets to go out, even though Facebook crashed, uh, not Facebook, YouTube YouTube. crashed before we got on here, which was kind of scary, but, uh, but we made it. All right. If you guys want to see more of Jenna, and why on earth would you not want to see more of Jenna, <laughs> uh, follow the Atheist Experience right here on the a- uh, AEN network. That's on 4.30 p.m. Central on Sundays. And also Atheistasis. Anywhere else they can find you, Jenna? Um, I'm on Facebook, but I, I actually just created a Discord server under my name.
3: So that's probably the place that I'm going to be interacting with people the most because it's hard to interact with a lot of people through Facebook. Um, but I would say that Atheostasis is probably the best option and I'm going to be releasing episodes every week now from now on.
4: So
1: <gasps> nice. Fantastic. All right. How um, long
4: did it take the two of you to figure out to pr- how to pronounce that? Uh, like, did, V, did you have to practice for this episode?
1: Atheistasis? Atheist, no, I, a- we, we had talked about it before. They okay, were, cool. I'm on the show. <laughs> they were part of the I need, to know how to <laughs> I need to know how to pronounce the shows I'm on, at least. <laughs> uh, uh, and if you want to uh, see more of us at Secular Sexuality, you can follow us on Twitter at SecularSex. You can email us at sex at atheist-community.org. And you can call our super popular uh, hotline um, where you can leave a voicemail that we will play on the air and answer. Uh, that is 512 666 0 Ask. That's 512 666 0275. And as always, uh, we are here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Central. Christy, want to take us out? Yeah,
4: you know, I I just want to mention super quickly, since we didn't get into all the details that for relationships that are going through transition, I actually just released a video about how to open up an existing relationship. And so I'd encourage folks to take a look at that. That's going to be on my website at Valence Counseling or here on YouTube. Uh, and I, I guess I just want to really thank both of y'all for this conversation. We covered some really interesting ground and I'm really proud of the folks who are calling in who are engaging with this material. So I appreciate y'all so much. I appreciate, of course, everybody who is watching from their homes. We see you even as you are sitting home alone, oftentimes by yourself. And that sounds we- w-
1: really creepy, <laughs> it, it
4: really does. Yeah. Staring through the TV. I, guess I, I, I see just, you. I guess I just mean to say that uh, I think many, many, many people don't realize how difficult this is. You know, they are see themselves struggling and they don't realize that others are. And as somebody who, you know, people share their secrets with, I guess I take it for granted that folks know just how difficult this COVID-19 experience is for many, many of us. And I want to continue to take a moment and acknowledge that for everybody. Um, but With that, whether you're quarantining in place with your friends, with your family or by yourself, we do hope that you'll find a little bit of privacy and go out and give yourself that big old orgasm or better yet that you'll give somebody else one. (laughs)